What's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Band Chats. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. It really helps out a lot. Uh, but thank you guys for coming back week after week and listening to this podcast. It, uh, really means a lot and it's really cool to see the listens and the downloads and the subscriber rate go up. Uh, I didn't think anybody would really listen to this podcast, uh, but but you guys do. And it, yeah, again, it means a lot. But uh, let's dive into this week's episode with Andy Lackintosh. Andy is an American sprinter from back in the day that uh, has a pretty controversial past. I mean, uh, you could look up the Kieran Carnage on YouTube and uh, just kind of get that dive into yourself. But we talk about being banned from the sport for a few years for some fighting altercations and, and, and some things like that. We also ch- dive into uh, how it affected his mental health, the sport of cycling. So uh, just forewarning, we do talk about depression. So if that's something that triggers you, um, something that you really don't want to listen to, just go ahead and turn off this episode and yeah, listen to one of our many other episodes that we have on this podcast and in, in this season. Um, but yeah, we do talk about depression and Andy is super vulnerable and opens up a little bit about uh kind of what went through his head and went through his life uh, in the sport of cycling. So uh, yeah, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Uh, But first, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Spot. Guys, if you haven't already, please make sure you go check out Spot at kroom.getspot.com. Um, I, I really don't understand why you guys haven't checked it out yet. If you haven't, especially if you're an athlete, uh, like I said, Spot will cover you up to $20,000, zero deductible if you're ever injured in an accident. And that even includes if you're in the kitchen making spaghetti or something and you just chop your finger off and you have to go to the hospital, Spot will cover that. Up to 20 grand, no deductible. So it's it's a really good thing to kind of stack on top of your health insurance. And if you don't have health insurance, it's a good interim until you get it, uh, especially for you young people who just think you're invincible because you're not. Uh, but yeah, Spot covered a $45 bill of mine. I was just kind of interested to see what Spot was like. And uh, not that I crashed on purpose, but I crashed, busted my knee open, had to get six stitches. And uh, yeah, they covered the bill completely. It was like $85 after my insurance. And uh yeah, they they picked up the rest of the bill. So anyways, go check them out at kroom.getspot.com. That's kroom.getspot.com. This episode is also brought to you by Twisted Spoke Apothecary. Guys, I've been using their peppermint tincture every night before I go to bed. And honestly, I've had the best sleep the last few nights. I just got done doing this huge bikepacking trip. And uh, I was able to recover in between that bikepacking trip thanks to Twisted Spoke Apothecary. And I even used their chamois cream, their CBD chamois cream, which you can go get at twistedspokeapothecary.com. But anyways, they're a Colorado Springs-based company with uh, cyclists that run the company. So wh- how, how much better can it get? So go check them out at twistedspokeapothecary.com. That's twistedspokeapothecary.com. And I'm really, really, really suggest their CBD cream. Um, I used it for 500 miles and it worked perfectly. So go check them out. What's going on guys. Welcome back to another episode of coffee and van chats. I'm sitting here with Andy Lakatosh and we are, we're just chatting, man. We, we got in the, we got in the beginning and next thing you know, we found ourselves just chatting and hanging out. But, uh, like I said, in this podcast, I want to bring on personalities that I think people may not remember or may not know, and I want to get to know them as athletes. And Andy is a guy that I looked up to, and he actually left the sport before I even came to T-Town, but he was one of the fiercest sprinters America's had, at least when I was growing up through it. So Andy, how you doing, man? 
I'm doing all right. I am freezing my ass off in <laughs> back in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, I, I spent the winter in California, which was not warm, but it was not it was not PA freezing. Yeah. Uh, I got back less. I got back on Wednesday because we opened the track here today for training, and I definitely had forgotten just how gray it is in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting to a little bit later this month and once we hit may it usually starts getting pretty nice but uh yeah no thank you very much for having me on and uh i i, I like the intro i like that yeah. that some some kind of reputation precedes me i find the majority of my time now is spent undoing the reputation that precedes me everywhere <laughs> i go yeah we'll but, chat about um, that too man i mean i mean yeah no you, worries like, sprinting was a different it, it's a, it was a different thing at a different time i mean i remember when i was a cat three like they were teaching us how to headbutt like they were like in Kieran's like, I mean, and even some of the tracks wanted it for show. Like they were just like, Oh yeah. Like it makes the sh like, don't crash your bikes, but like it's for the show. And now, I mean, even if you're just joking around with your buddy on the track, like you might get suspended for a little bit of time. Um, so, well, but yeah, I mean, the, anyways, the let's, <laughs> let's, let's just, let's just dive into a little bit about you, man. Like, where do you find yourself in the sport? And now you're working at one of probably the, actually it is probably the only track in the US that puts on UCI racing. It is the only track in the US right now that puts on UCI racing. So how did you, how did you get started and how did you find yourself there? So I actually grew up like, like my zip code was Traxler Town, right? And it's funny because the velodrome actually sits in Brynigsville at some point they rezoned something or other. So it, it like the velodrome's address, the Trexler town velodrome's address is Brownigsville, but I grew up in Trexler town. I, you know, my dad still lives 500 yards from, from the track. And what's funny is when they built the house, they just bought land and built a house in essentially farmland. And, wow. you know, we, um, my parents thought that they lost the lottery when, when they, when we hit the first summer, because you could see the lights and hear the announcer at our house on Friday nights. And they're like, what is this bullshit? Like we, like, <laughs> is this going to happen every Friday all summer? Yep. Yeah, it is. And here's the fun part. Your kid's going to do it and eventually work there. So, you know, we, we saw that for a couple of years and then, uh, air products, local company that sponsors the still sponsors the venue right down the street from the track. They, um, they sent, they sent out uh, brochures and flyers for their free programs that they did here to get kids on bikes. And, you know, that showed up in the mail one summer and parents were like, Oh, let's, let's give it a shot. And, you know, the first program I did was peewee peddlers, which is a program that we still have. Yeah. Um, so I was a peewee peddler. And for the longest time, everyone thought that was the cutest thing. So, <laughs> you, so you did peewees from like seven to nine. And then at nine, you started to use a track bike. So I did that and air products, also sponsored that and at the end of summer they had uh they had a finals and you got to race on a friday night against the other people in in the program so all all non-licensed stuff right just average kids from from middle schools high schools and stuff and so i did that when i was you know 9 10 11 and you know i'd win on a friday i'd i'd win or place at on in the race on the friday at the end of the year and i was like oh this is fun this is fun yeah. I, I like this and then when i was 12 uh junior nationals came to t-town came here in 97 and i remember like just being so terrified because it was like nationals like nationals like there's gonna be so many fast kids because we thought in terms of like you know the the scope of football and soccer yeah. and baseball like nationals is just like 
you're you're playing against the best kids in your school just get throttled so um that came here had no idea what an omnium was how any of this crap work and uh i wound up winning and i was like that's it i'm i'm hooked this is this is the greatest thing greatest thing ever i wound up liking cycling over the team sports i did soccer we did baseball baseball was a family sport and uh you know we found cycling and two two main reasons i i liked it i liked it because uh it was an individual sport yeah so you didn't have to rely on anyone and soccer and stuff you know, or baseball there always be a wink link or a lazy kid and this is still something that drives me nuts and in work and part of the reason that you know working in restaurants for me as a manager was so hard when i did that for a while because i was like it's like man does no one like want to try like everyone just wants to do do the minimum and get by you know and so so that was one reason because like okay this is all on me and i got no one to rely on except for myself and no one to be mad at if it doesn't go well except for myself which was a whole separate thing you know when it doesn't go well dealing with that and then the second reason was just speed God, I love going fast and it, yeah. and it hasn't gotten any better. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties now and I still drive my car. Like I, like I'm a teenager yeah, who stole sure. the keys from his dad, you know, um, every single time. So yeah, speed, speed 110%. And, you know, then I just became a growing up in Trexler town, especially in that era, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, you really saw, the tail end of the of the glory days right i we hate that term because it's never going to be the 90s or 80s here again but you know i became such a romantic about cycling and track cycling and and how much fun it could be and you know it's just something that i i can't get out of and that i don't want to get out of every time you know a little over a year ago i was like that's it i'm walking from elite level of sport i'm out of here don't want to deal with this bullshit anymore um and then covid hit turned the world upside down and my life actually got better so no no complaints on that but yeah i guess if you want to run through the the quick bullet points then um i've probably retired three or four times and come back all for different reasons um i actually just had had a a, a family that I spent a lot of time with out in LA the the father asked me, he's like, so what happened after Oh four? How did you not like, you should have been a shoe in for Oh eight. And I started going through the story and he's like, Oh, Oh, you had a couple things happen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, but I think 27 time national champion. I was Olympic alternate in Oh four long team in Oh eight um, medaled at the 2007 Pan Am games in rio and that was a god that was a fiasco of a trip um junior world silver medalist and after i retired from riding pretty much formally in 2014 i just started coaching and you know really full-time like i started in 2013 my coaching business big picture cycling and 2014 had an accident with the motor here and uh you know, I said, all right, it's time to time to pack that in, started coaching and been doing that ever since. And then opportunities came up here and I started, you know, helping out race directing and here, here we are. So where would you like to start in, yeah, in, in, no, in that no, 20 some years of, uh, <laughs> of sport? Well, well, I think, I think, I think it's pretty crazy because I, I came across a rumor that you might be coming out of retirement for one more time. 
Um, that's that's interesting. I mean, I mean, just with <laughs> with uh, and because I mean, let's think about it. When's the last time we've had? I mean, I guess Baranowski made Rio team. Mm-hmm. That was it. I mean, that's the last time we've seen sprinters at the international level. And Baranowski was was up there. I mean, he had man. I feel like oh, he, that guy he, had some he, bad luck. Uh, he 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 well i mean yes and no so so he had one of the better runs in terms like if i think since 2000 right if i think since 2000 since the end of the formal national team right he definitely had one of the better run-ups and you can ask him about it it was by no means easy right and it never is easy and it definitely again as someone who's romantic about the sport it breaks my heart that he got home from Rio never on I mean I saw him I can't tell you how long after that and he's like dude I just unpacked my bike now it was like a year plus later he's like didn't want to touch my bike was happy to be out of it had my job at PPNL he's like I just got into it just walked away and I haven't looked back and to me that's that's heartbreaking right because like he had so much success bunch of time world cup medalist right made it to to Rio god he 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 had the out from the first round into the into the semis, but I think it was Skinner came by and actually did what he did to me at nationals yeah. in 2012 and squeezed me off the track. And I saw him out. I was like, Matt, all the times for you to hook. That was the one time you should have hooked. What do you got to lose? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I know, I know, but uh, yeah, you know, it's um. So 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 there's Matt before that. Jimmy Watkins went in 2012. Uh, and before that, it was, you know, Adam Blatch or Duvendeck, Blatchford and Gideon. And before that, it was Gideon, Christian and Duvendeck. And yeah, we, we've always managed to get our foot in the door. And now, of course, the the ironic, but it's not really ironic if, if you look at it part is that, you know, now this time we didn't manage to qualify shit for men's spot in sprinting, but, the you know, the, the the women qualified one spot for for the women in sprinting it's like about time right yeah. like like we we've always had had the talent there's been a lot of miss a lot of missed opportunities i think is the nicest way to to put that but you know hey there's there's going to be a u.s woman in in tokyo without spectators yeah <laughs> um, so that's that that's pretty awesome but yeah, Matt. Matt was really the last, the last one that was truly at that level internationally, right? Like we, you can kill it here. We host World Cups, right? We basically just hold, hold Nation Cups here, uh, in the summer for our UCI events. But doing it here and doing it abroad is two totally different things. Yeah, because it's almost like it's almost like those sprinters come over in a block, you know, and and one hundred percent. And they, and then not only are they in the middle of a block, but we also have to look at how our Americans have to set up their system. Um, and I, and maybe you can help me with this disconnect cause I don't understand it either, but, um, you know, we're all time-based. So if you're not running fast times, then you're not, you're not going to go to any international competition. Just, just, just the way it is. But, you know, you look at like a guy like James Millen, he's peeking throughout T-Town and he's crushing it. He's doing pretty well. And like, it's not that he's not just winning because those guys are in a block. He's also fast. Like you can tell he's fast. 
But then after that, June is up. He's at Nationals. So now he's got to maintain his position at Nationals. And then he's got Pan Am games. But at this point, he's been racing for like 12 weeks, you know? And so now you let's say let's say that Pan Am games does go through the World Cup's going to be kind of a flop. So where's that disconnect for the sprinters to, I guess, train through it and still be able to go to a Nations Cup and put up a time to where they're not, you know, because I feel like and it happens with us endurance guys. You got one chance and you're only as good as your last result. I've I said that. God, I said that to Missy freaking uh 20 2013 LAGP and and I was like it's you have a great result I said but it's like you're only as good as your last your last result and it you know when 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 your trajectory is doing this and everything's getting better that's that that's easy you're not afraid of that right and then you have your first your first bobble and and that's that's really tough so let's 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 back up a a a little bit one of the things you said that i think is incredibly accurate and that we don't fully grasp is historically when the kiwis the aussies the canadians and everyone else come here to race in june they are in a training block yeah. and what we're seeing is is training form with race wheels on right and you know th- this is the same thing i feel that happens with the british in terms of non-Olympic racing and Olympic racing. I firmly believe we see them at World Cups, Nations Cups, Worlds in non-Olympic years, training form with race wheels on. Then we get to the games and they actually taper, right? And you're like, oh, holy cow, right? So when I look at the, the Americans, right? And what's funny is like, Man, I used to <laughs> should have had Jim Miller on. We could have had a good laugh about this one. Yeah, I, I used to fight with Jim. We all we all did, right? It was like yeah, we yeah. want to keep like we need. And so if it's you've like tried to go to if you've tried to go to any international competition, you've had a hard conversation with Jim Miller at some point, no matter no. how good you are. Like, well, and and it's like you know, even when you have the speed, right? Even when you have the speed, there's still the the actual ability to race and there's the ability to get out of your comfort zone but really if we if we want to get down to it like you have the best conversations with jim when you have the best mindset and mentality about it right when you walk into a conversation with jim like jim i got this objective i'm determined like i got this this and this put together but hey i need help with this i need help with that like what's your input how how can i get there you know and you have to be ready to take that input and say okay like we're gonna we're we're going to go and we're going to go after that. I think we, we don't, we get too much into the minutia of the details, right. Of like mm-hmm. Jim would say, okay, I want you to go in June and go race in Europe. Right. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. We got all the racing right here. We have points. We have this, we can go fast here. We have our motor, our coach, we sleep in our beds. Like we eat our food. We don't have to take a, uh, a, a power adapter for our for our you know computers and stuff and so we go no 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 we don't want to do that right because it, it seems it seems silly to do and then when i finally got out of it enough and far enough away from it i realized it's not it's not that the competition's not good it's not that that's not good it's not any of that it's that you need to go get your ass kicked where you're uncomfortable and realize that everyone else is 
is still training full gas and then gets to this next level, right? So, so the the peak and taper and holding on to it all year and then coming into the World Cups, it's like no, you just need to shift your priorities, yeah. right? You need to shift your priorities and and not resist that. I mean, listen, if it, if I was in James Mellon's position, Mandy's position, I'd I'd be amped up for June first too. Like, come on, yeah. let you're you're coming to my track. Like, let's let's go. And that's exactly how we used to be, you know. And I mean, then you get into the cultural aspect of like if we are time driven and you're trying to peak and hit time standard and then hold up time standard. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the individual event selection procedure, and it does vary sometimes. Sometimes there's a time standard. Sometimes there's not a time standard. Sometimes who knows what's on the website that's published. And it's like, you know, we always got into the the minutia, the details. And I was talking to Pat McDonough about this in 2019, and and I'm like, I'm like, Pat, you have to understand, I'm actually a lot calmer. I'm not as angry of an individual anymore. He's he's like he's like he's like I never saw you as being being angry and he's like you just wanted you just wanted clear cut like tell me what i got to do to get paid and then leave me alone and i'll see you when i do it right and mm-hmm. it's not you know chloe doesn't chloe doesn't worry about time standards chloe doesn't worry about because she sets selection them. you know you she know. doesn't worry about selection proceed yeah. but it's, it's just the mentality right she walks sure. in that conversation of like i'm gonna go win worlds i'm gonna pull three two three medals at at, at the games she just knows it right now when you're not Chloe, how do you, how do you build that? And, you know, we are largely time driven and oh, I've been, when I was out in LA and we were using that track for the last couple of months, I was collecting the environmental data with, with Maddie. And I was just looking at, it, I'm like, it is dog shit slow in this building, Very. like horribly slow. No wonder we can't hit time standard plus the shape and everything else. And, you know, but big gears are, Oh, that is, that, that, that is the way, but, um, you know, Isn't that it's, funny to think about, man? Like you used to be this hoss on a bike, and you were doing what ninety five and sheer two hundred. So, so well, I saw. I posted. I posted that one post on Instagram where I found that video from 04 and I rode in ninety four, and I came in at five one and finished ten five or seven or something. So I was like, I Jeez. died by a half second. And and I, I the other story I like to tell is Gideon and I went to Worlds in 04 in um in Melbourne and we both got into the Kieran and we're sitting there trying to pick gears and I'm like I'm like, you know what, it's worlds. And I'd just gotten fourth at the Sydney World Cup like three weeks before that. I think I rode in ninety four and ninety six. I'm like, you know what, it's worlds. I'm gonna send it. He's like, Oh yeah, what are you gonna ride? I'm like, I'm gonna go ninety eight, I'm gonna go fifty one fourteen. He's like, Whoa. He's like, Man that's that's too big he's like i gotta go lighter i gotta go lighter so i have the leg speed and i'm like oh yeah what are you gonna ride he's like 97 97 <laughs> i can't feel the damn difference between 10 gear inches once you break 120 it all oh, yeah. feels the same and, you know we're talking about half three quarters of a gear inch and I, like you look back down and you're just like oh man what if we just said screw it and just thrown on huge and just like just just let it fly and uh yeah they probably so didn't it's even come. make it like i mean no what was the biggest chain ring that you could buy back then now you can buy a 70 53 was uncommon yeah. everyone had 51 maybe 52 53 was like what are you doing with that and 54 just didn't exist right we used to joke that like like punishment and training was if you had to use a 12 
right? Because we're like, oh my god, no matter what gear, even on a forty-four tooth train, we're like, it's still so big, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I don't even, I don't even use a sixteen anymore, and I don't go below a fifty-six chainring. So, like, yeah. what are we? You know, so so it's come a long way that way. And you know, if you look at at U.S. sprinting, I think that that was all part of what factored into it. We just, you know, Marty won in two thousand and then retired and so funding started shrinking as we have this gap of ability and competitors and generation and then you know we'd have these little blips of like let's hire a coach and give it a shot let's hire a coach and give it a shot and in the meantime budgets are shrinking and you know the the real compounding factor for us i think is that around 04 06 is when we started was when sports science became a thing right and teams started having sports scientists with them i mean sports science in 06 you think about it compared to to now is w- just wildly different right so insane. yeah and so you know we were just behind this behind this this eight ball and we were just trying to catch up and throwing monies at monies at coaches like gary west and trying to you know like get get going and it's i think it just boils down to consistency and and investment and I, I remember I presented to to Derek Bouchard Hall and Scott Schnitzbahn in um, twenty eighteen when I made the board. You know this whole ten year plan. I'm like, we're ten years out from twenty twenty eight. I'm like, here is the step by step way I would do it. Minimal investment. You get the tracks to buy in, the colleges to buy in, because I think kids should be going to school and and getting that done. I'm I'm still planning to go back myself and finish up my degree that I never never completed. But you know I had laid this whole thing out. Now here we are, three years have gone by, and it's like now they're hiring a sprint coach, right? Now the ODP, ODA is is a thing, and, and we're making a push for it. And, you know, it's definitely because there's got to be pressure towards 2028 and, and the home Olympics, which is great. But it's like, man, that three years and, like, how are you going to – I'm excited to see who the sprint coach is. I think that's, that's going to be fun. Um, you know, I just – shit, that's got to be a lot of money. Yeah, I I, th- I think I mean even with, but like I, like do you think there's any issue with the athletes? Like I mean by issue I'm I'm not saying that like we don't have the talent because I think we have the talent. I just don't know if we have the knowledge. Um, I I never realized how much sprinters rode until I left America. Mm-hmm. Like like sprinters ride, dude. Tail boss she, yeah. was in the world tour for a bit, you know. And so just go look at the Dutch guys on Strava; they're riding all the insane. time. Like it's insane. And so but, my question to you is: is like, do you feel like there's a false, like kind of like the gear reality? I think it took Americans a long time to wrap their heads around the bigger gears too. Um, do you think there's a little bit of a gym rat only persona in the American sprinting right now? I think there's a little bit of too much of not being willing to go outside your comfort zone. I think there's too much of, I got the answers. Right? I remember talking to one of our elite sprinters, um, 2017 Pan Am champs in Trinidad. And they're like, you know, I'm like, Oh, you think you like, you think you have it all figured out? Like, yeah, no, I know what I need to do. I know how to get there. And it's like, man, you go ask Chris Hoy his last year competing. If he had it all figured out, I guarantee you, he'd be like, no, I'm looking for, looking for any way to improve anything. Right. And, and I think that it's very easy for us to get attached to a particular um, 
thing that works and then I'm not going to let it go. Right. I'm just going to hold on to this for dear life because I don't want to lose what's what's working. Sometimes that's particular effort. It's a gym workout. It's a it's a gear. It's a training group. It's a location. Well, whatever it is, you just latch on to that and you're afraid to to get rid of it. And actually, one of the things I put in my presentation in 2018 was, you know, the, the millennial athlete like, man, the number one great thing you can do is delete social media the second you start looking at oh someone rode this time someone lifted that weight someone did this like like yeah. i gotta I, I gotta go do that now too right i post the stuff i do just for shits and giggles because i wonder who who changes their gym routine because it's something they saw me do <laughs> sure. you know makes me make makes me laugh and but i largely don't pay attention to it at all and it actually stems back to my my glorious youtube moment in 2005 and I'll, I'll get there in 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 a second but it's like you know to, to everyone who's like usa cycling needs to do something for me or i need this or i need that i'm sorry in today's day and age with the gears and the training knowledge that is out there men should be able to get to nine nine on freaking youth and beer muscle i'm not shitting you like this pisses me the hell off right like the fact Leverson's going nine two, okay. And you can say like, okay, you know, really fast suit, two two tenths of a second. Really fast conditions in the track, maybe a narrow tenth of a second. Right? That brings us back to nine five, right? The dude still rides like what nine three in his middle lap of the team sprint after a seventeen zero start. And nothing to me is more impressive than watching it in person because like him and Hoogerland literally just lay off Vandenberg. Like you can see them, like they do like two, three pedal strokes all out and then they get into turn one and they're like float, float, wait, and they let him walk away. And then as they come out of two, they're like, all right, let's go get him. And like you think about it like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine if your starter is riding 18.5. No, he's going 17.0 or 16.9. And like they're casually laying off him and, 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 and running him down. So, you know, I look at the number of people that can go – as fast as they can go. And I mean, yeah, you can get into conditions and skin suits and equipment and all this other stuff, but listen, like you should be able to go to any reasonable track rock up and on pure strength. And I actually ride my bike, get to at least 10 Oh nine, nine. And even then you're not qualifying for the sprint tournament at worlds, probably not qualifying for the sprint tournament at nations cup. So like, you know, wh who, whose tree are you barking up? I just, I just noticed, I just noticed actually that USA Cycling updated the national team standards for gold, silver, bronze for sprinters, right? And I, I, I missed it because we're not actively chasing it. Maddie's on the on on this on the program, so we're good there. And um, you know, I'm looking at it, and it's it's ten seven for women and and nine seven for men. And you're like, and you have to do that time at the same race where you earn the result, which is you know. Nash or nation's cup podium top six in the world whatever it is and you look at it and you go like whoo that's that's fast that's steep and then you look at how they tabulate it and it's the 15th place from the last two world championships and you're like that's still like that's not even put you're on the back half of the tournament yeah like you gotta sprint first round you gotta sprint the dude that's or or, or girl that's closest to you in time and pray you win only to get matched up with the fastest qualifier the very next ride. Like, shit. Shit.
shit. So, you know, you, you can look at it and go, oh, that's that's way out of reach and this, this, and that. No, it's not. No, it's not. If, if my lazy, fat, old ass could get to my fastest time ever here, you know, I rode 10.5 last year on six weeks of messing around going, hmm, that felt kind of good. Let's see how that goes. Um, then, yeah, you should be able to, if you're an elite athlete and this is what you do and you're completely dedicated to it, yeah, you should be able to get down sub sub 10 seconds or for women sub sub 11 seconds. And until then, no, I don't think you should be barking up USA Cycling's tree. You should be continuing to work, s- search things out. Now, we can sit here all day and say, okay, how do you create smaller steps on the ladder? But the reality is like, if I have had a dollar for every time we talked about how to make smaller steps on the ladder, I could build myself a velodrome. So I think the better thing is you have your known quantities, you have your standards that you're going for, you know, selection criteria comes out, make a plan and go after it. The number of people that don't know how to read selection procedure, don't even know the UCI rules. Come on. Like, like when, when, when you walk in to talk to Jim Miller, you're like, I want to go to a nation's cup. And you don't even have 250 UCI points and you don't know there's a minimum number of points you need to just set foot on the start line. You, you, you look like an idiot. This is the most refreshing thing I've ever heard. And, and I'm going to be honest, like I, I was lucky enough that I never really like, cause like once I made it into the men's endurance program, like I was following selection criteria, but I never, I never really knew it. Like um, a lot of it's coach's discretion, which like, Especially in the team events. Yeah. And like team pursuit. Like, I mean, they could, I mean, in technicality, they could technically name a team and they could name like the world cup roster, like the nation's cup roster. They could name the nation's cup roster and put Taylor Finney on it, even though he's retired, but they've, they've named him. Like that's the coach's discretion. Like he doesn't have to submit a form. He doesn't have to do anything. And I got a phone call. I recently got told that they're not sending anybody else to nation's cups. Um, and, but because of COVID and, you know, the Olympic teams and budgets and whatever. And I said, okay, that's fine. Like I have nothing else. And then I'm not going to n- mention the name of who gave me the call, but, um, and it wasn't Jim, it wasn't Gary. It's just somebody, a lot of people might not even know, but I got, a, I got a phone call and, uh, he was like, but I need you to know, I'm going to send Lambie. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's in the selection criteria. He's like, wait, so you read it. And I was like, yeah, it states that in 2019, if you've meddled, in that event, in the world championship, you're automatically selected to the team. Everything past non-Olympic events is all coach's discretion. So mm-hmm. if you've decided that you can't send me, then you can't send me. And it is what it is. I'm not mad that Lambie's going. And like, he's the best in the world. He's one of the best in the world, right? And yeah. so unfortunately, that's one of the events I want to compete in. But, uh, but yeah, it's just interesting to me too, because then the next thing he said is, but it was really refreshing seeing your petition because you had a good argument and... I was the only one to submit a petition. Now I'm probably going to get a lot of flack on this, that it was hard to find. No, trust me. It's not that hard to find. It's not, you just don't look. Yeah. It's not that hard to find. It's in a drop down box. You click track, you hit major events and there's a hyperlink. That's it. And so it's interesting. And it's like, you know, if, if you really wanted to, you could push the issue on that too. Yeah, because Ted Stevens act, they can't stop you from going. They can say, we're not going to fund it. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And it's like, you know, if I would have known what I know now back in 04, I probably would have gone to the Olympics because I would have challenged Anjay, the coach's selection for Marty 
for the Kieran because he wasn't really doing track and he had gotten seventh at a world cup, but I had gotten fourth. So I, like now, Oh, I would have, I would have won that argument eight days a week with how I yeah. know how to, how to present everything. But you know, I, we didn't know. We just didn't know. And it's like, you know, we discussed when I was on the track committee, like, should we have like a webinar on like showing people how to like do this and where it is. And it's like, unfortunately getting to this so one of the best things and worst things about america is you can sue anybody for anything at any time and that's that's unfortunately selection procedures and all this stuff and and selections are sometimes like that has to be factored in right if you didn't submit a petition you might not get to go just because you didn't follow the the criteria and that's it's so frustrating how often that happens so but it's one of those things where it's like for for my athletes for our athletes we and friends, you know, we, we look out and make sure that that the the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed because you have to or else, you you know, might might shoot yourself, shoot yourself in the foot. But, you know, one other thing that I think really hurts us here, and I thought about this earlier today before we even got on on the call, but um, we spend too much time worrying about the damn person next to us. Mm-hmm. It drives me up a damn wall. And. It's definitely like, I'm not sure if it's the COVID bubble that I've been living in where I've been removed from this, or if it's not being in T-Town over the winter or what exactly it was, but it's like this so worried about the other person and if they're going faster, this, that, or the other thing, and it's just this horrible negative energy. And it's like something that I grew up with tremendously because my mom was psychotic and she, um, you know, like one of my best friends now she she made me hate him ben barczewski my entire junior career because he's gonna he's gonna try and break your junior national records and at the time it was like you can't can't let him do that like he's a prick there's nothing i could do he was two years younger than me like i can't even beat him in the race if he beats it he beats it and like you know just like this negative energy and we definitely breed a lot of that you know like again chloe's not worried about making a team Jen's not worried about getting the Omnium spot, right? And that that shifts your mentality in terms of like how you approach what you're trying to do. And it's like, I I remember watching the Canadian girls walk in 2015 to the track in LA before for their team pursuit, right? And like, they're all walking in and matching shoes and matching backpacks. And like, there's six or seven of them. So they know two of them aren't going and one of them's not riding. But it's like, there was a culture around like, I'm going to give my best set the teams as best it can. And if, if I can get selected to be a part of the team, then that's good. And that, that please, I'm, I'm not naive. It's definitely not that easy on the inside, For sure. but it's like, that's the culture you, you gotta be like, we're going to three women team sprint now, which is about damn time that the UCI got their shit together on that one. But, you know, we, we have, at least two or three different sprint camps, right? Most of which are like, we don't ride team sprint with anybody outside of our group or our team. And, you know, then there's all this guarding about like, oh, I can't tell you what gear I ride or what 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 time did she do in that? I have to try and better it now. And it, it's not done in, in, in a healthy way. And that's, listen, we have a golden opportunity. This, this, the event's going to be wide open. Like people are just getting into it 
figuring it out. Like there's a real chance here for us to jump up and grab, you know, with Maddie, Mandy, and some of the younger girls coming up, there's a real chance that we could grab or hell put freaking Jen or Megan Jastrab on the back. Like we yeah. stand a really good chance that way too. But what's funny to me, and this is the reality check that especially men sprinters need. Okay. European championships last fall, the Russian women did a three person team sprint for the first time ever. And they got within like a 10th or two of winning our elite men's time from nationals the previous year. So I'm sorry. Don't go to USA cycling saying I need X, Y, Z to be a better sprinter. The Russian women could have won our nationals. Like, come on. There's, there's, there's bigger, you have to understand there's always bigger fish to fry. I've been very angry over the last (laughs) No, <laughs> and no, actually, I'm, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the happy. You, you hit a nerve with me. I've been so relaxed. Everyone recently has has told me they're like, "Wow, Lack, you're you're very very well, no, relaxed." Like I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm glad. I, like, because I'm I'm just curious. Because, like, I mean, like I said, it, you know, we had I, I brought some of the American Sprint Program boys on. I because uh, mm. I I have some. Here's my thing. I'm gonna be honest. Like, I should not win the kilo. I shouldn't. And here's why. If you um, ride 59 seconds, you should. Yeah, for sure. But I, I don't ride 59 seconds. The best I ever did was, uh, you know, I'm talking about nationals, like yeah, yeah, sprinters, yeah. right? Um, you know, my start's not that great. That's something I work on. Uh, I need to work on. Um, but if you watch nationals, like I'm in 11th, um, about 500 meters in, probably like eighth at 750 meters in, but I win it at the last lap. Yeah. And so like I had this conversation and and, and like I kind of lo- I'm not going to lie, I lost a little bit of respect for American sprinting in some regard um because it's like I know everything. I don't ride over this amount of time. Um 200 meter time means everything. But to me like one of the things Brian Abers always used to tell me is like and I wasn't even a sprinter, he was like your 200 meter time is important for qualifying, but if you can't get through the rounds, what's the point? Like if you just can't, like if you qualify dead last, how do you get through the rounds, you know? And so it's a very interesting conversation and kind of a thought process to have within, with endurance. But I was impressed with the American sprint program because of how they decided like, okay, we lost our opportunity. Like we had this ODP program or whatever it was called. Um, and, and it's gone. It's taken away from us. We had this funding, we had this, we had that, we had this, we had that. And they said, you know what? Fuck that. Like, we're going to figure it out on our own. We're going to create this program and we're just going to keep going. And that to me, like, was kind of refreshing to see it. Like, not that they, I think they just kind of quit blaming it on everybody else. And they were like, look, we're just going to do this. Like we might not go, but maybe it sets a foundation for somebody else and creates another opportunity. Like, so what's your thoughts on these like programs popping up um, and kind of going forth? Trying to think how how honest I can be. You can be as honest as you as you need to be. I think. I mean, well, I think they so, all know they need work. You know, like. I don't well, think no, no, I'm, I'm, we all I'm do. just thinking more, more my own political situation. But it's so. So let me say that every answer is my own personal, not professional, not related to big picture cycling, the work I do at the at the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole like like oh, you know, the rug was pulled out from underneath us, like well, for, you know, what do we do or, oh, we're going to keep going on. Yeah, no shit. If like 
the number of times programs have come and gone, shit's been pulled from us. I mean, just go talk to Maddie about how many cycling coaches she's been through in, in her career. It is mind blowing. Right. Yeah. So, so this, like the whole thing dissolving within 24 months was, was not at all a surprise to me. And, and with the current ODA, I can see it being reimagined or reevaluated within 24 to 36 months. It's just the reality of these, of, of these things, you know, and yeah, it's like, do you still have a bike? Do you still have a gym? Can you still like, then get out and train. Right. And that's, that's the whole stop expecting there to be something else and, you know, get outside of your, your, your comfort zone. Like the, the ODP squad, the, the West coast kind of group, they very, very rarely, so sprinters very rarely come to T town to race. Right. And, you know, they ride nationals and that's it. And, you know, I, I, I challenge and say like, at least come race T town you should be going further away than that to race. Like you're never gonna, you know, speed is important, right? Like if you can't pop off nine, five at a real track, you know, 10, five as a woman, you're not getting past the first round. Right. So that's, yeah. that's the reality of this. You have to be able to go that quick or else you're just getting up against someone who went nine, two or 10, two and, you know, getting, getting your shit pushed in. And that's, that's not enjoyable for anyone. And there's, but you're not going to jump right there either. So there definitely has to be an investment. I mean, it's going to be, I, I, I know USA cycling has got to be looking to 2028 and got to be thinking we got to start investing and start taking people and giving them chances and stuff. And that's great. Um, but shit, that's going to be here before, before we know it. I mean, you know, I mean, just think about Tokyo is going to finish in August and then in theory, the next Olympic quad or the next you know the Paris qualifying. If it, if they do two seasons again, is going to start in April. What is that? Eight months later, right? Yeah. So you're, we're we're literally going to roll right off of one and right into the air because in theory, it should be Worlds 2023 should be the final event for select. If they keep the same pattern, they could shift and say maybe we'll count the Nations Cups in 2024, but. Um, you know, so that's going to be one. Sorry, jumping back to one of our early points about, you know, racing here and travel and stuff. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the shift back to the summer season, because we're going to have Nations Cups, you know, April, May and June. They're going to have this large gap to Worlds, right? 2023 Worlds is going to be the all Worlds in August or whatever it is. But otherwise, we're looking at probably like an October world. So I wonder, like, what kind of form will people be on when they come to T-Town in in June or July and, you know, Commonwealth games, 2022 Pan Am games will be in there. 2023. It's going to be an interesting couple, couple of years with this shift back to the, to the summer season. But I like, I, I like the variation. I wish we still went to truly different tracks. I wish we still went to outdoor tracks for worlds or nations cups. I wish we went to three thirty threes, hell, even a 400 because then the track becomes, see, this is how I'm like a romantic about the sport. I like when the track becomes a, a player in who in the type of rider that stands the best chance of winning. So um, yeah, I I think that's fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. So I don't want to keep you all day and I got two more questions. I got our final question, but Man, one thing that's always sat with me, and we chatted a little bit about this before, is, <laughs> is um, 
you know, so I ask everybody when they come on the podcast, if there's a few things I can't talk about, and this one didn't come up. So, um, one of the first Americans, like when I first heard about who you were, I watched Carney Carnage on YouTube. It Kieran was, Carnage. Uh, yeah. Kieran, Kieran <laughs> Carnage. And they called it, was it, it was a Kieran Carney Carnage or something. It was some, yeah, yeah, yeah. there was some runoff on his name and it was with Jamie Carney. If you haven't seen the video, I'll put a link in the description below because I think it's still on there. But it's uh, it's pretty intense. I mean, you got Marty running in the infield. You grab grab Jamie Carney's handlebars and knock him on his ass. It's wild. Um, so yeah, let's let's chat about that. How did that all come about? Where did that even come from? Did was there something said in the race? What happened? What's so, your story? What's Andy's truth? So. Trying to think how you can how you can wrap all this in. So, all right. So if we talk about what was going on in in T Town at that time, right? We're coming off of the '90s and the early 2000s, really aggressive style racing, yeah. right? Like, and and we're also talking about I I was the first uh, victim of social media, and <laughs> see, here's the thing, that thing didn't even go to YouTube, right? Yeah. That video initially and where all the fallout came from was on fixed gear fever. Right. Okay. And, and I'll get to that in, in a second. Cause that wound up shaping a lot of, of, of who, who I am now and how I handle stress now um, and rumors and all the other BS. But so we, um, so, you know, it was a very aggressive culture of racing and there'd been a number of, of, see now, now I look at it and I'm like, Carney and I were very similar in the sense of we studied the rule book, found exactly where we could bend the rule to right before it's about to break and then go, whoa, whoa, whoa. didn't break the rule though. Didn't break the rule. Yes. Um, and n now that's why I'm so good as, you know, UCI race director and stuff like that. Cause I, I'm, I understand the rules really, really well and, and how to operate within them. But um, so there was a lot of anxiety coming into that, that night and, you know, oh, Carney races like a dick and someone's got to, you know, got to really, really show him what's up and stuff. And, you know, the, the, the funny truth is I largely consider like, if I think about like being aggressive and getting, getting confrontational and, you know, like knocking people down or, or looking at a fight and walking into it instead of walking away from it. Largely I'm scared shitless. Like to be completely honest with you, I, I don't, <laughs> the running joke we had over the winter was wake up and choose violence. Right. And it's like, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And reality is I actually, I actually don't, but I look at certain instances like the Carney thing, or there was a, a crash at, at uh Pan Am games in 07, the guy like, ram in tried to run me off the track wasn't looking ran into me fell over and i was running around going don't get up like just stop like i'm gonna like i'm gonna be so mad if you get up uh, another time roberto chiapa came to race and i pinned him at the i mean aggressively pinned him at the rail here in a three-up sprint until the end of turn three and he spent the next um the next three weeks in t-town every time he saw me going f you f you f you f you but it was all he would say to me right he, he just every time f you f you f you and what's funny is like you know 
they're like, why'd you do it? Like, why'd you do that? I'm like, well, I'm sick of him coming here and taking our prize money and getting his flights paid for. And I said, enough is enough. Right. And it's like, I look at those moments where I choose, <laughs> I do choose violence and I'm like, okay, maybe I do have a little bit of, a little bit of violence. And, but anyway, the Carney thing. So it, it, it was a tense night. Right. And there was definitely two, two separate camps. And what, what my story is, is that, uh, you know, my best friend Ben Barczewski was behind me and we're, we're starting to make a run and Carney swings from black line to above the blue. And this is where the camera angles change. And there was a, there was a wide open door that I would have taken if I was driving a semi truck. And of course, Ben was the same as me. So he's like, I'm going for it. And so he shoots it. Carney comes down, knocks him over. Right. And you can argue all day about like right away did Ben put his wheel where it didn't belong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it was a tense night to say the least. So I'm pissed. And so I kick it into gear, um, make my best effort to win the race. Don't win the race. He's celebrating. And at the time I'm looking at it, like, I'm like, he's celebrating about knocking down my friend. Right. And that's where the majority of the rage came from, for me. And I just took my hand, swiped his handlebars and, you know, put him down and, Instantly, then I'm right around the next lap, like, oh shit, shit's about to get real, real now. And, um, <laughs> you know, so some of the, I mean, everyone on the infield's ready to fight. Uh, in the meantime, Carney's popped off his sneakers and they don't show us in the video. He chases me underneath the bridge and turn one up to the rail, trying to tackle me off my bike. Right now, if I would have let him tackle me, we'd probably be having a very different discussion because there would have been this, like, oh, you know, it was retaliation and stuff. And, so long story short, you know, it got from there, it got very ugly. And, and I learned intricately or intimately how the uh, grievance um, <laughs> arbitration policy works within USA Cycling and the rules. Yeah. And it would not be the first, it would not be the last time I would have to deal with this. And, um, you know, I, I got suspended for six months and uh, served that, couldn't race. But that, you know, there was a police report filed. I had to go through that. And I was I was 19 at the time. And so when you actually take a couple steps back, I have to explain what actually went went into all this personally. Right. So, oh, four, I narrowly missed making the Olympic team. And it was down to me and Adam Duvendeck. And we were the same time every day in training. Like one effort, I'd be a thousands faster. Next effort, he'd be a thousands faster. And Andre gives me the lucky. I don't know what to do. You guys are same speed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one effort, he faster, one effort, do faster. And ultimately he picked Adam because he was a little bit older and felt that on race day, Adam would, would have the best chance of not, you know, choking. Um, then the whole Kieran thing was a separate thing for, for Athens, but we, um, so, so there's that. So I was pissed off about that. I'd done a, a, a winter at, Penn State main campus and I didn't get good grades. I didn't do well in a, you know, a biology class of 800 students and stuff. So that didn't go over Jeez. so well. And, um, you know, I came home and was just pissed off and trying to like get form back and just like prove that I was still like good at something. Um, cause I didn't feel very good. You know, I'd gained some weight and stuff and I was like, I'm going to, going to make this happen one way or another. And so then that all transpires. And the funny thing is two months, three months at two months after that, my parents would wind up starting their incredibly ugly, aggressive, nasty divorce. And so if you actually like step back and go, Hmm, 
I wonder if he was a little stressed in general, right? Like, was I just not, was I an on edge kid at that time? Probably my whole, my whole house kind of was. So, so, so that goes into it, but you know, a big part of the reason I say get rid of social media and don't pay attention or I don't pay attention to social media is um, what transpired after that. Right. So Fix Gear Fever was a website run by this guy, Scott Patton, who was out in Colorado Springs. And at the time, Scott, uh, I would say probably was not my biggest fan. There'd always be some like little quips and, you know, passive aggressive kind of remarks to stuff about me. And, you know, it just, it, it, it was what it was. Um, but so he got a hold of the video, posted it, and then started the forums, right? And this is before comment sections on Facebook and, and yeah, Instagram. and forums are a thing. So That's, That was your Facebook wall back in the day. Yeah, well, so what would happen was we didn't really have internet access at kids at, at, at that point. Not like we do now. You didn't carry it around on your phone. So my psychotic mother would sit at work and just go through and read every person's comment and try to figure out who their who their handle was and who it actually was and stuff. Then she'd print these things out and bring them home and shove them in my face at like 19 years old. Um, about look at what this person said. Look at what that person said. And you have to hate this person. You have to hate that person. And at first I'm like, yeah, like fuck, fuck that person. Like how dare they say that? They don't know me. They don't know this. They don't know the other thing. Um, and you know, a lot of it really hurt. A lot of it really, really hurt. Just sitting there going like, you know, like, God, all these people actually really feel this way about me here. I thought I was liked or at least respected. Um, and, you know, like, God, that that really sucks. And eventually it got so, so exhausting, like just like cripplingly exhausting. Trying like I was fighting all the time that I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I, like one day she brought more printouts home and I just crumpled them up and threw them. I'm like, I never want to see them again. I'm like, I can't, this is exhausting. People are going to think what they're going to think and they're going to say what they're going to say. And that's, that's all there is to it. And like, I just want my peace. Right. And so that, that was a lot of the reason why I don't really look at other people's things on social media. I brush it off. If I do see something, I don't get wound up about it. And, you know, to this day, that same family I was spending time with in Los Angeles, they are playing a game one night. One of the questions is, you know, what's your most proud accomplishment? And it took me a, a second. I sat there and I go, my most proud accomplishment is when I genuinely change somebody's mind about who they think I are or who they think I am. Yeah, yeah. And it stems from that, right? It 100% stems from, from that, that people genuinely think I'm this like ultra angry asshole, like just aggro all the time. If they watch me race a bike, or if you, if you come to me in the middle of a UCI event with a really dumb question that's written in the tech guide, or you come to me going, I need free entry and you're bringing nothing to the table. Um, yeah, you're probably gonna get a very salty version of me. That's like, no, no, absolutely not. Like, like we have a, a, a business to protect. We have a, a legacy to protect. Like, you know, this is, we have to preserve that this place carries on. So no, no. And, you know, but when I get someone that, you know, I tell a story or spend some time with them and stuff and they go, Hey, genuinely different than 
than I thought you were. Like to me, that's the absolute greatest accomplishment that Trump's going to the games that Trump's national champion, that Trump's record holder, that Trump's all that for me. When someone is genuinely like, Hey, I, I, I think differently about, about you now. And that's, uh, that's probably my biggest accomplishment. And it's, it's an uphill battle. It's one I definitely won't win <laughs> largely. For sure, um, but I, I think that'll I think that'll come across in this podcast, honestly. I mean, like even even I, I mean, we've had I mean, this is the longest conversation we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Like, in passing, I know who but, you are, you know who I am. We say hey, but, and that's about it. When 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 we see each other at events, it's like it's like there's no time, right? No. I'm coaching, you're racing, like we're doing our yeah. stuff, going going opposite directions. There's not a lot of time to say, honestly, like one of my favorite people to talk to is like um, Brian Abers, Pete Taylor, Andy Sparks, right? We always find ourselves on the backstretch at at national championships and big races. We're always, <laughs> it doesn't matter year, doesn't matter what championship, we're staying there having the same like three conversations, right? Yeah. <laughs> like um, what is our dumb athlete doing on the track right now? The opposite of what we just told them to do. We said, don't go for the first sprint. What do they do? They go balls out for the first sprint. And we just like <laughs> shake our heads and go, what the hell talking about the state of us cycling and what we could possibly do to make it better. And then going, man, we need, we need some beers. Um, and then the third one is just like, glory days reminiscing sure. stories and stuff like like if you want to have a good podcast just set a microphone up on the backstretch at a at a championship <laughs> event and we'll just start start telling telling stories so no, for um, sure. well cool man well let me get this one last question in and i think i prepped you with it but if not i think you'll probably come up with a good answer um, so every time we ask every person that comes on this podcast if they could have coffee and if you don't drink coffee if you could have a beverage with one person dead or alive, who would that person be and why? And how would you take your coffee or what would your beverage be? Well, so one, it would definitely be coffee. I actually haven't had any, any alcohol since December, 2019. Awesome. Wow. I, I was, I was in a very, uh, not great place. This is one of the things I intended to get to with my social media that I just got too busy and had yeah. time to do, but I was, I was very, very really like, suicidal at the end of 2019 it was not it was not a good year for me in a lot of different ways uh personally professionally like it was just it sucked and i didn't see things in the sport getting any better for me that was part of the reason i said i'm retiring from elite coaching and stuff and you know it was not i was tremendously out of shape and just not i was unhealthy mentally and it was yeah i feel very lucky that i made it I made it through that. And then, you know, end of February, February 26th, I won't forget that. I had a conversation that really could have broke me. And instead I, I was like, that's it. I'm making a change. Like I'm not, I'm not letting this, this end me. And then COVID hit. And for me, COVID hit. And there was a much greater sense of like, I have a purpose now right? Like this is when I feel like I need to lead because people are, are lost and confused and don't know what to, to do. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm pushing forward. And then that's what led to the training and stuff. And yes, I am probably making a comeback if I continue to have time. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I've, I've re so I, I whacked off like 35 or 40 pounds in like three or four months last year. Um, thank you. Yeah. And, um, 
I got to riding and put out some good times. And this winter I went to LA and kept training, working my strength coach, working my nutritionist and reset my entire power curve over the winter. And even though training has been a little bit of a cluster in 2021 because of how busy I've been, um, we're still going to have some fun and, and play around this year. How much I get to play around, who knows? But the difference is now, like, if if I have to miss training because I got work or life or something else, it is what it is, right? Like, there's, there's bigger yeah. things going on. But uh, so I definitely drink coffee. I only drink coffee black, no sugar, like, no yeah. cream. Um, and I'm also, some people will think I'm absolutely insane. I'm either iced coffee or just lukewarm. I huh. don't like hot coffee. All right. I, I I can't I can't do it. Who would I? Hmm. Who would I have coffee with? Dead or alive, it can be anyone. Just See, that, and, and that one special person that you think that like, man, I would really just love to sit down with them and chat. I would say. So obviously I love stories, right? Yeah. I love, I mean, we, we, we said we were going to swap some war stories and we didn't even get to it. I mean, I, I was actually going to tell we'll you just, save it just for another podcast, man. Just well, literally podcast. just, just pick a year or just pick an age and tell me an age and I'll walk you through step by step. There's, there's something funny that happens yeah. every, every single week with me, but um, I definitely value all of the, what I used to say is I used to say that like you would get caught in the T-town vortex. And I, and I loved it. I absolutely love that about this place. And it, it doesn't happen as much anymore. And, and that really is sad to me. But what I mean by the T-Town Vortex is we would finish training, you know, you'd motor pace from 10 to 12, 1230-ish. You get out of there, walk out into the parking lot. And you said this big shade tree I can, where it used to be right next to where my truck is parked right now and be a hot summer day. It's this big shade tree and we'd all just like come out training drunk as we called it just yeah. annihilated <laughs> and we just like like sit there for a moment after putting our bikes in the barn and like shoot the shit for a while and then like you know gil, gil was 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 always around get gil hatton and and he'd come out and you know we'd sit there and we'd we'd start swapping a story too and then marty would come out from from the office and we'd start telling war stories and then uh uh, uh, what's his name? Heinz Walter would, would happen to come by or Jack Symes would come by and before you know it, you're caught in this like run of stories. Right. And we're going yeah. about, about everything from Panasonic Shimano days to this one year at junior worlds, you know, whitehead crash. And this, and we're just like retelling story after, and you just didn't want to leave. You were exhausted. You were hungry. You were thirsty, but it's like, I even remember thinking at the time, like, man, these are the like magical kind of like moments and stuff. And like, you just, you gotta stay, you just gotta stay and keep listening. And, you know, I, I, at the very end, I stopped taking them for granted, but there, I say all of that to say that, like, I remember we'd get to, um, we'd get to, we get to nationals and same thing the way I see Abers and I see Sparks, I see all these guys and we start, you know, telling stories and laughing and stuff. Um, we always used to see, I remember being a junior and Mark Whitehead, yeah. right? Mark Whitehead was there um, and he coached Hammer and Gil coached Sarah Ewell and Lauren Franges and Ashley Kim and all these girls that competed with Sarah Hammer. And it'd be all the TA girls first Hammer and it would be 
ugly. It'd be so ugly. And like Gil and Whitehead would be screaming at each other and slinging cursed words and they're dirty racing and this, that, and the other teacher girl, how to ride a bike. And I'm like, like, who is this guy starting to fight with Gil? Like, he has no idea what he's doing. Like, is he out of his damn mind? And, and, you know, like they're going back and forth the whole week. And then someone's like, I'm like, who is that? They're like, oh, that's Gil's best friend. I'm like, what? Who? Like, <laughs> like they, they, they obviously hate. It. She's like, no, no, no. They're, they're they're best friends, and you know. So I, Whitehead is the guy that pops to mind because he's not with us anymore, yeah. right? And I've I've said for a couple of years, and with the way the social scene is now, this will never happen. But I. I uh, I always said I wanted to do like a T-Town storytellers thing where we'd all get together, get all the old characters together around a table, have dinner and a bunch of wine and just a bunch of cameras and just record all the stories. Because once like I'm trying to remember all of them, but once they're these are just the ones I've heard once they're gone, like like that's it. They're yeah. they're gone. We'll never have these stories again. And, you know, Whitehead <laughs> had no no shortage. <laughs> of these of these stories and uh, like i literally have like six of them popping into my head head right now and um you know man it, just uh just to have have coffee or he'd, he'd be having beer definitively yeah. he'd be having beer and just Even be like no matter hey. what time <laughs> yeah oh no matter what time no matter what time and you know it, it he he was i was trying to explain this to he he was a you either loved him or you hate him. There was no middle ground. And I was trying to explain to, to, to Missy. I was like, I was like, you know, whitehead. I'm like, you would hate you. you like his personality would be like, like, no, like, like I, he's, he's, he's a horrible person. I'm like, but here's the thing. Once, once you were in, right. Once he had a reason to respect you as, as an athlete, then he'd fight for you to the absolute end. Right. And that's, that's something that I always admired about him and admired about Gil and stuff was like, they ask so much of you and they don't do it in the nicest way always. And they push you to the absolute limit beyond the limit you thought you had. And some days you hate him. I used to say so often that like Gil, a good day of training with Gil was when you were invisible, yeah. when he didn't see you, he didn't say anything to you good or bad right but if he said something good man that was going to my journal when i got home because i was like i can't believe gil said gil said you did good today like that is fantastic and you know but like for everything they asked you and as hard as they rode you and as aggressive as as they could be you know you did it for them without hesitation because you knew that they had your back on race day um definitively right like yeah. no one and that was one of the final final little anecdote that i'll tell i'm actually like feeling a little bit choked up talking about these guys but um you know everyone's like lackey why would you race like such an asshole against the against the the, the national team and so it was like the national team versus us and, and we always called ourselves the dark side and it was us versus the national team, Jeff LeBeau, Garth Blackburn, Gideon was on the national team. And, you know, like <laughs> I'm like 15, 16, 17 years old. I, I have no reason to be at, at elite nationals or wherever I am. And, you know, I, I got, I got Gil and Whitehead sitting over there in the corner and they're like, they're like, all right, you're going to get so-and-so next round. And, and they were like, you should really stick it to them. They're like, all right, here's what you're going to do. going to roll off the line. 
immediately, like you're going to draw position to roll off the line, chop them off the track, get right to the front, right? Like clear off the track. They're, they're going to immediately try to like get back in front of you, take them to the rail, right? And then do whatever you have to do to stay in front of them. They're going to get really pissed. They might curse at you, like, you know, and just hold them as high as you can, as long as you can. If you got to come down, come down, but then hook them at least the width of the black line to the blue line, no matter where you're on the track. Right. And they would just wind me up. And now in retrospect, they were doing it for their own personal entertainment, right? This was the greatest <laughs> live show of all time because they were getting someone to go do. And I would, whatever they said, I was like, absolutely. I'll do that. Right. And so I'd come in, I'd have this, you know, mid late twenties, elite, big athlete, ready to just throttle a freaking seven, 16, yeah. 17 year old kid. And I come in and I, I do it fearlessly. Cause I was like, I'm riding right into Gill and Whitehead's corner. And nobody's going to fuck with me because they're going to have to come through both of them to get to me. I was like, nah, I'm good. So I would go out there. I'd execute it perfectly. I'd come in. The officials would be warning me or relegating me. I, I joke with Nareen, Andy McCord, and Randy Schaefer. I go, hey, who are the three you think has relegated me the most? <laughs> and <laughs> and Nareen's like, I think it's me. I go, yeah, I think it's you too. And so, you know, th they would warn me and need to talk to me. The, the, Riders are screaming at me. Someone else saying, "Lackey, you, you little piece of shit!" Right? Like, yeah. and and I get into the corner and Gil and Whitehead stand there with their chest out, like, and what? Like, like what? You can't take a little beating from a fifteen-year-old kid. Like, what do you cry? Like, come on, come on, toughen <laughs> up, toughen up, right? <laughs> and then they turn around and walk over. I'm sitting there, like my headphones on. They like give me the like the little like hand out behind, like high five, like, you know, backwards at their hip. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, Lackey, that was awesome. Way to, way to stick it to them. And so that, that's, you know, that was a big part of the reason why, why I felt, why I felt fearless, you know, as those guys, they, they had your back. So that's an incredibly long-winded way of saying, you know, I would, um, I would want to get a, uh, get coffee with, with Whitehead or just have another, t-town vortex day that i'd just never get out I'd, I'd never leave the parking lot i'd just sit there and and listen to it all day because that's just the that's just the best stuff man no that's awesome man and i like i said man i really appreciate you coming on and we we've never really we've never really chatted like i mean i knew who you were growing up and in coming into the sport you had no idea who i was um but got to know me over the years, you know, me coming to T-Town and bugging you and asking you, hey, how do I find housing? How do I do this? How do I do that? Um, Here's what I'll say about you. And every athlete should take should take a lesson out of your playbook on this one. Email directly, follow instructions. No, no, sorry. Before you even do that, read the website, yeah. read it very carefully, follow instructions, complete everything email say hey submit this just to make sure you get it thank you very much for this i really look forward to it like like just, just you know and you don't have to kiss my ass i don't want my ass kiss i just want you to like i just want the the respect and appreciation because and that's one of the most frustrating things that comes the most from our local our, our local crew but it's like man there's a ton of work that goes into these uci events and the seasons and i literally agonize for weeks if not months over like okay how can i set this schedule up to be perfect yeah to fit everything in everyone gets the proper amount of rest we do a complete sprint tournament kieran tournament uci omnium with qualifying heats because we got 60 men that want to ride the omnium um you know, how do I get all this perfect? And then to have a like, hey, Lackey, this really sucks is like, 
<sighs> so yeah, just like take a page out of your playbook and, you know, be polite, be courteous, like, you know, and, and understand that like, we don't have to do this. Yeah. We're the only track that does it. Well, I always think that's funny and well, that's a conversation for another day, but it's like the classic, uh, the classic, um, everybody's upset that there's no bike racing, but the moment bike racing come back, we just complain about bike racing. And so like, I never know how to make somebody happy, but anyways, well, man, again, thank you so much for your time, guys. If you haven't already, please make sure you go check out the Velo Sports Center and uh, go check out Big Picture Cycling and Andy on social media. Even though he hates it, just go say hey. That's a good dude. He'll he'll tell you some more stories. And thanks again, man, for being super vulnerable with us. You know, telling your story. I, I think it's awesome, and uh, hopefully, people get to know you a little bit better just through this. So, all right, we'll see. No, you next thank time. you very much, man. It was fun. Cheers.